Hello everybody and welcome to the GMS Magazine channel. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and this is the RPG Interview Room, the show in which I'm lucky enough to get together with people from the world of role-playing games and ask them tons of questions about their creations. Today I have with me Hamza Kazmi, who is a truly interesting fellow because he's working to create games and products focused on inclusivity and the OSR community, which is quite interesting because, let's face it, the OSR community has received an awful lot of criticism for being everything but inclusive and diverse in the last few years. However, there are some people who are truly fighting to change that and there are some absolutely amazing people creating some wonderful work. Hamza is one of them. And I was gagging to ask him some questions about why OSR and what is he doing. Now, before I knew the, the before we had the interview, I didn't know this, but he's going to be appearing in a Twitch streaming of a new game by Chris Spivey. Yes, that one, the one from Harling and Bound, who's uh, releasing a new game based on basically. The Wild West of Harlem Unbound kind of game, which I'm really excited. There is going to be a Twitch where the very Matt Mercer is going to be appearing together with our very guest here. So, there's going to be a link in the show description, but I wanted to tell you all about this before going into the interview, because I don't want you to miss it because this is one you should truly put in your diary. I think it's going to be fantastic. Seriously. So, anyway, without further ado, here is Hamza. Hamza, um, welcome to the show. Um, it's, um, it's such a pleasure having you around. Um, Thank you. I've seen you on Facebook an awful lot of times in, in a couple of the groups and I never approached you, but I thought, you know, when, when you said, hi, I'm here, uh, I thought, yeah, that's absolutely great. Um, before we go into anything, how are you doing? Because you are right now, for, for the listeners, we are recording on the day before the US election and you are in Washington, D.C., so things must be really chaotic at the moment. Yeah, uh, I'm just outside D.C.'s city line, so not inside the city proper, but if you walk for five minutes, you can get into D.C., so it's close. Um, things are, you know, uh, there's very much a tension, but uh, there's not much to be done until stuff starts kicking off tomorrow. Fingers crossed for all of you. Uh, Appreciate it. As peacefully as possible. Thank right. You. Um, because we have never really spoken about uh, about anything, and I don't know. And actually, you are an attorney, so I bet that you're very, very good at asking questions. But I need to know how good you are at answering them. <laughs> so um, uh, let's let's. I'm going to start with five just simple questions, just to get us in the chill and the mood of, of answering things, um, and uh, we'll take it from there. Sounds so, good. Okay. So, um, question number one is uh, tea or coffee coffee. I like tea. I appreciate you know, a bunch of interesting flavors, but coffee is the one that captured my heart. Oh, okay, that's fair enough. In my case, is the one that keeps me awake. So, um. that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, the beach or the mountain? Mm, 
Beach, I think. I like both, but Beach wins out as being a bit cozier. Okay, fair enough indeed. Um, cars or motorbikes? Uh, cars, because I don't have that great a sense of balance. <laughs> I'd love to be on a motorbike, but that's more of a theoretical love. Practical oh. love, I think it would not necessarily be a good scene for anyone. Okay, so that, that's a kind of platonic, you know, things that you look at them and think, oh, I think I love you. But from a distance. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, uh, now this uh, gets a little bit harder. Um, fantasy or science fiction? Ooh. Um, these days, fantasy. It's, oh. I, as you say, it's that one's one of the harder ones, and I generally like smushing the two together, but these days I'm on a bit more of a fantasy kick. Okay, that's that's indeed fair enough. And last but not least, um, zombies or vampires? Vampires give you a lot more interesting scope. Zombies got played out in the uh, 2000s to 2010s. I'm sure there's still interesting stuff you can do with them, but vampires have it for me. Okay, that's fair enough. We are very much in agreement. <laughs> okay. Um, let's start talking about you a little bit, um, because you do RPGs, but very much you concentrate within the OSR community. Is that correct? That's broadly correct. Um, I've done work in other areas. Uh, my first um, ventures into the any sort of uh, professional RPG stuff was actually with... Uh, Mongoose Publishing's uh, 2004 Paranoia. I was a freelancer for that for a bit. And uh, my first published scenario is actually going to be coming out from um, Chris Spivey's Darker Hue Press. It's nice. uh, um, it's one of the adventures for um, Haunted West, the sequel to Harlem Unbound. Okay. That but, is very exciting. Um. I'm really proud of that one and really excited to see what folks think when they see it. But uh, for the most part, yeah, my game design interests and passions are strongly within the OSR sphere. Um, tell me a little bit about why, why the OSR? Because I know it's a very popular thing, but I honestly, I want to because I started the OSR. You know, I, I was playing role-playing games in the early 90s. I cannot get my head around it anymore. What, what is it that you find attractive about the OSR? Let's see. Um, for one part, it's, I mean, some of my closest friends who I've uh, been gaming with for the past 10 years and I'm working with. Uh, this is an area where all of us have interests and passions and a lot of experience. So that's part of what's keeping me in uh, in there. Part of it is that this is sort of, um, it. Felt, uh, when I came to the OSR, it felt like, number one, it was clarifying a lot of the stuff I saw in D&D &D when I was growing up and looking at it, and coming to it as someone who basically didn't have any connections with the broader gaming community, right? Like, I was, um, I was getting, finding D&D &D and all of its stuff on my own, um, like normally it's exposure to fellow kids in class and so forth. And there was a little bit of that, but I was the one who was actually getting the rule books and figuring out how to do things. And hopping into the OSR made a lot of the stuff that I had seen 
click and oh, this is why it's there. This mm -hmm. is how it all actually fits together. Um, but then it also said, hey, what if some of the design ideas that showed up in classic D&D &D weren't um, silly vestiges, weren't things that have become obsolete? Maybe there's, some, uh, maybe there's still some use in those. Maybe there's still some interesting things that one can do and one can branch out from there. Um, all this said, I'm not really interested in the OSR as primarily a nostalgia vector. Mm -hmm. My interest in the OSR is using this as a building block for a style of game that makes it easy for folks to come in, create their own stuff, and um, play around and modify with different components and have that be something that is saluted and encouraged by others. Um, so low bar of entry is a big thing and promoting people tinkering and creating and making the game very much their own. Okay. Um, now, that is something that a huge amount of people have tried to do over the last 25, 30 years. Uh, and plenty of people think they've actually managed to do that, to lower the bar, to make it easier, to take those concepts and, and rejiggle them to make them more kind of modern or accessible or what have you. What is it that the OSR brings to you that those people still haven't done yet? What, what, what are they missing or, or what can you see in it that you would like to do that other people still haven't done? Okay, so this is um, this is not commenting on what other people have or have not done as no. much as what makes it click for me. Mm -hmm. And for that, part of it is the idea that anyone uh, sitting at home creating something and fiddling with the uh, fiddling with their own creation is that's as valid a voice as the person with the published uh, snazzy looking product. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the person with the published product has more experience, maybe they're able to do something better, but that doesn't privilege their voice. Agreed. And that doesn't mean that they're necessarily doing a better job. Um, one of the things that really attracted me to the side of the OSR community that I hang out with, which I want to clarify, is very much not the whole OSR. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Part of that is, uh, you know, part of the stuff that's attracted me to it is the wide number of creative voices and interesting perspectives out there. And each of those home creators is just as valid and just as compelling as the stuff that's out there on the shelves, or more so in some cases. No, I, I definitely agree with that because, um, I mean, Firstly, I'm, I'm making a whole series of videos on RPG publishing because I believe that anybody and everybody who's ever dreamt of publishing a, a game should do so. Um, you know, and I, I absolutely despise when I hear people saying, "Oh, we already have enough of this. We don't need more games like so and so." And it's like, no, we do. You know, we 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 do need to hear all all this. We need to we do need to read all this 
because we have no idea where the next genius is going to come from. And I rather read a million generic run down the mill games and find a good one than missing one because somebody thinks that one million are useless. So, yeah. And beyond that, sometimes you need to make the uh, the one that everyone's seen in your own take on that rehash in order to fi help figure out where your voice is, what you're interested in, and what you really want to drill down into. So considering that you are an, an, an OSI developer, um, where would you like to take it? Because I, I'm getting the feeling from what you're saying that OSR is not just something that you take and say, oh, okay, this is uh, my former D&D game that I used to play, and this is my uh, you know, paranoia that I used to write for, uh, and I am going to mix those two to make something that I think should fit, and that's it. I get the feeling that this is more like a journey or evolution. Uh, I think that's fair. I think that it's... I don't know. As I uh, see new interesting things and latch onto them, I definitely want to add some things, take some others out. It's, uh, I guess uh, some people tinker with cars and keep on trying to optimize them to get exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. And it feels kind of like that for me. Um, but on a broader level, I want to help foster a gaming scene and gaming community that's uh, very much focused on inclusion, on support, on... Uh, promoting the voices of folks who've always been in the room but haven't always been heard. And that's an area where uh, the OSR has had a, shall we say, mixed record. Um, <laughs> there are, as I alluded to, you know, there are parts where you have a bunch of interesting folks from marginalized communities speaking mm -hmm. out and creating, but you also have many, many instances where people in the OSR are devoted to sort of freezing in amber uh, a nostalgic snapshot. And that's that second one isn't what I'm interested in. Uh, I think, you know, I'm going to be very controversial in here, but um, I agree with you. And the, the OSI community is something that I would like to talk to you about in, in a few minutes. But mm -hmm. I, I get the feeling that those people who are enthralled in the nostalgia and again, I'm going to be really controversial in here. I think they are so because they cannot figure out any other way of doing it. And when they see other people changing it and making something new out of what they consider to be canon, they get really ratty about it. But it's nothing to do with people doing new things wrong or anything. It's just that they don't see beyond their noses. I think that uh, you're touching on the canon component is actually a crucial is a crucial thing. We've seen how in various communities, uh, in various fandoms, the concept of canon is something that people latch onto and vociferously defend. Right? Like, you know, you you have interminable arguments about Star Wars canon or Star Trek canon or comics canon, and it's that focus on this is how things are and must be, and changing that would be fundamentally wrong, that seems to draw out a lot of the worst tendencies of folks. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that it's fair to say that some people perceive, I don't know, like early to mid TSR stuff as a canon that should not be altered. Um, my take is, you know, if that's something that you're uh, you're interested in, fair enough. My goal isn't to reify an existing canon. It's to take some of that stuff, see what holds up still, and see if I can go someplace interesting with it. Okay, which to me makes perfect sense because I am one of the people who thinks that canon it can should be changed according to whatever you need to do with it. I just don't see why you know it has to stay the way it is if it doesn't resonate with you. At the end of the day, RPG is a very creative endeavor. Why shouldn't we be creative with the canon and make a change? I mean. The purpose of, uh, I guess it's worthwhile to disambiguate between two different sorts of uses of canon. One is canon in the sense of an internal continuity, like you might have for a fictional universe. And the other is uh, canon in the sense of the great works, TM. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear people talking about the canon of Western literature. And for the fictional universe, it uh, it serves a purpose there in making sure that that has an internal consistency. But I think that when you start talking about a single canon of Western literature, that you're foreclosing a lot of opportunities. Some of those uh, works hold up, some of them maybe less so. Some of them are notable for the influence that they had at a given time. But locking it in stone, I think, is a very fraught way of assessing a tradition and framework. And if you lock it in stone, you're stultifying creativity. I, I agree. But to be honest, I think perhaps because I've always been very reverent with, you know, with written canon, you know, I, I have played Lord of the Rings games and, you know, Lord of the Rings is a very locked canon. It is, this is what you have. And I've always thought, you know, whenever you're playing uh, a game of Lord of the Rings or the One Ring or whatever game that's based loosely on Middle-earth, you're basically breaking the canon because what you are creating, it might be based on what's on the books, but it wasn't really on the books. So you're creating your own thing. And yeah. if Tolkien came back and looked at what we're doing, he might say, shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> so He might, but I also think that Tolkien or other creators would slash ought to realize that folks dreaming new dreams from the inspiration that they provided is not a bad thing. Absolutely. And I think that, yeah, you're definitely going to have some cases where as someone uh, creates something, that's not going to mesh with the vision of the original creator, but the original creator is not going to be present. Like, you know, poor J.R.R. is still, you know, he's going to be quiet in his grave. He's not going to be coming to the table and being horrified at whatever your uh, your group is doing in Adventures in Middle-Earth or at the, you know, uh, Shadow of Mordor video games or whatever, right? Like... People can create their own things from there. And people definitely should. That's what yep. they want to do. Um, for you, what is the most challenging bit about developing for OSR? Mm. 
Honestly, the challenging bit is making sure that I find my own voice and uh, stick to that and don't get intimidated by some of the uh, by the existence of other creations out there. Like I know that I've seen things like uh, Luca Rietz's, um Ultraviolet Grasslands. Luca is a friend and a colleague, and I see UVG and I go, what am I doing trying to make something that's tapping into some of these vibes? Luca's done so much better than I. But then the rest of me goes, yeah, maybe, and maybe whatever you put out isn't going to be as good as Luca's, but it's still going to have your own spin on it. And so I keep on telling myself that and quietly plodding forwards. <laughs> Okay, and that's that's the way to do it, I guess. Okay, let's talk a little bit about those uh, marginalized voices that that you were that you were mentioning earlier, because um, whether we like it or not, the OSR community as a, as a whole, um, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm generalizing here, and generalizations are, are inherently flawed, um, but the OSR community has had a really bad time and very very bad. Um, you know, reputation in over the last few years. How has it been for you to be a member of such a, you know, tumultuous community? Mm. There hasn't been any issue for me on an uh, individual personal level. Like, I have not been marginalized because of my... Um, background or perspective um, and my creations have been taken seriously, but that's not the same uh, that, excuse me, uh, others uh, in the community cannot necessarily say the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to try and help amplify, number one, like I said, help amplify some of the voices that are there. And number two, specifically reach out to um, to folks who have been marginalized in the past and make sure that they're, uh, I, I use my resources to help give them a platform and a voice. And part of that is in my capacity as a partner with Hydro Cooperative, trying to find different authors, reaching out to them and uh, publishing and helping foster uh, creations from other folks. And that's been a slow process. It's mm -hmm. limited by commitments on day job and personal bandwidth, but it's one that I feel strongly about and that I'm committed to going forwards. How do you find those voices? Because uh, unfortunately, marginalized, vo marginalized voices are the hardest to find because, you know, they are marginalized and it's very difficult to, to, to be heard, basically. How do you find them? Um, trying to pay attention to folks who are speaking out about difficulties that they've been facing, mm -hmm. uh, paying attention to folks who um, mention issues that they've had and a uh, lack of feeling welcomed in gaming, a lack of representation or a lack of traction and trying to work with them. Um, with uh, hydrazine, the uh, very much 
in development hell uh, zine that I've been trying to work on. Part of that process has been trying to reach out to people I've seen um, whose design um, background I find interesting and compelling and whose personal perspectives I are ones that have been shut out to varying degrees. Um, I guess one of my goals is for folks who feel uncomfortable with the OSR to be able to say, huh, looks like there are people out there with my perspective and with my outlook who are being um, supported and uh, those voices are being heard. When you say people who have difficulties being being heard, what kind of things are those people experiencing to to find that their voice stifled? Okay, so we can look at things like uh, colonialism and Orientalism, um, mm -hmm. both of which have had numerous spotlights uh, raised within, say, the D&D slash OSR community over the past you know, year, two years in particular. Um, you've had people thinking about um, how certain dynamics of traditional play can sometimes re-encapsulate those. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to say, look, here are products that are engaging with uh, some of those things, not just taking them uncritically. Here are products that are seriously assessing what it means to be facing the dilemmas and tensions of operating in a colonial framework. What would you have to say to the people who have felt that way, who feel that getting in is too risky, is too fraught with potential abuse. Mm. What can you say to them? I mean, that's fair. And I'm not going to be in a position where I can absolutely prove to you that this is a safe way, uh, location to engage with. Um, but what I can do is try and make sure that your perspective will be heard and it'll be taken seriously. And that's very much something that's a continuing journey. It's not like a single statement or a single step can solve these issues. No, this is something that's going to be ongoing work for a long time. How did you cope with it? Because um, I can imagine that even if you, have, you haven't been targeted, you know, um, but I bet that because watching it, even if it is from a distance, I mean, I find it really painful. And I am one of the people who have said a long time ago, you know, screw the OSR community. This is way, way too toxic. I'm, I'm just not not interested. How, how do you cope with it? How do you do not to give up? Um, I mean, honestly, part of it is, like I said, the strong positive relationships I've forged with uh, dear friends. Part of it is not wanting to cede ground to uh, to toxic folks. And part of it is feeling like 
I didn't speak up and I didn't say enough earlier and uh, doing so might have had more of an effect then. So the least I can do is try and continue using my voice now. For people who want to find their own voice within this community, how would you recommend them to start? Um, blogs are still a bit hard to get people to come back to after the way that we've shifted gaming and media consumption over the past 10 years, but I still think that blog entries and writing out one's thoughts, engaging with pre-existing stuff and presenting new takes on it is still a really solid way to um, build your own voice, to meet and engage with other folks, and to start um, forging ties in the community. So writing your own materials, uh, assessing and discussing what works for you and what doesn't. And one of the virtues of the OSR community is that I feel it is still really flat. Like there's not that much separation between the developers slash publisher and the people engaging with that product. Like, I mean, just to pull a example out of um, larger publishers, I don't think it's too common for Monty Cook, for example, to really be chatting with folks about how they've used uh, his games. Mm -hmm. That's not any slight on Monty. He's a you know, he's a busy guy running a full on uh, full on company. Uh, he doesn't have the time or bandwidth to do that. But there's a lot less of that in many spheres of the OSR, and being able to engage with those folks. Um, means that you can talk with other people working in the space. And yeah, you absolutely have some bad actors. You have toxic folks who are not worth engaging with, but you also have people who will listen and will be curious to engage with good stuff that's coming to the table. Okay, this is uh, the million dollar question. How do you identify those good people? Because I've run in the middle of some of those toxic people. And my goodness, if I were just beginning role-playing games, I would probably be put off the hobby for life. How do you identify the good ones from the bad ones? Where do you find them? That's fair. It's um, And that's something I'm still working on showing, like how do you set up uh, trusted and safe access points? Um, how do you help bring new people on? And on an individual level, if you have someone who friends are vouching for and they say, okay, this person is good, that's reasonable. But for internet discussions, it becomes a lot harder. Um, it's a lot harder for someone coming in new to know the background and context of X or Y person. And, oh, wait, they're hanging out with these people? Wait, they've been horrible to such and such? Like, it's hard to know. And it's a difficult situation. I don't have a solid answer on that uh, beyond support people who you think do well and promote their voices, um, which is something I would say to everyone, regardless of which gaming community you're in. Promote the people who you think are adding worth and positivity and 
try and drown out awful folks through highlighting good voices in particular. What can the community as a whole do to actually become a better place? I mean, if, if you have to talk to those I'm not going to say the mega toxic people. We we know who they are, and I don't think they they have any. Uh, I don't think there's a way to get them back or get them into a place where they can be positive and constructive. But um, for those folk who are maybe in Facebook groups who will react defensively, I'm just going to be mild about it, um, defensively about change and inclusion and, oh, you know, diversity within within the OSR community. What can be done to actually help them understand what's happening and feel more at ease with what you would like to achieve? So one thing I would uh, note is that it's really helpful to point out that when, you ha when you're when uh, you focusing on the frameworks that promote toxic folks, that means that you wind up driving f other folks out of the community and you're cutting yourself off from their voices. Um, and it can help to analogize to gaming groups uh, and bringing it down to the far more micro scale. If you insist that no uh, toxic Bob has to has to stay in the group no matter what, you're going to keep on driving off all the other folks who might have been interested, who might have been able to add a lot more, but keeping toxic Bob around, they're not going to come by. And they're going to feel like it's not safe to come by, and they're going to be right. And emphasizing that those voices are voices that can add new stuff. Um, that one of the things the OSR has very much prided itself on is its creative foment. But if you take steps to drive uh, people away, you're losing your chances to add in new perspectives and new outlooks to that foment. Which is a loss for absolutely everybody. 100%. So um, just to, to, to wrap up um, a little bit the interview, um, where can people find you? What are you doing right now? So as I alluded to, I'm, in, uh, I'm a partner with the Hydra Cooperative. Mm -hmm. um, we are currently working on getting the odious uplands uh, supplement uh, that was part of our Operation Unfathomable Kickstarter out the door. We are working on an omnibus of the first four books in the Hill Cantons line. And we are also working on ZDXU's Mace of the Monkey King, a sequel to his uh, module Lauren Song of the Bachelor. Um, those are all the you know, up and coming new projects that we're um, still uh, trying to get out the door. Mm -hmm. um, our website is unfortunately more than a bit out of date, but you can find us tweeting at at Hydra Co-op, all one word. And I personally uh, tweet at at Alandaros, A-L-L-A-N-D-A-R-O-S. That's going to be in the show notes, so people can, will be able to take a look at that. And my own uh, gaming blog is uh, called Legacy of the Bieth, 
and that's L-O-T-B-I-E-T-H dot blogspot dot com. Um, okay, um, I'm going to you know, wind down a little bit. Um, I just have three more questions um, to ask that um, may or may not have anything to do with role-playing games. That's, that's mm -hmm. going to depend on, on your answers um, okay. because they are going to be really, really weird. Uh, but I think you can handle this. What do we got? Okay, uh, question number one. Um, what is the best advice that no one has ever given you? Mm. Let's see. I guess preparation and luck are both necessary. Okay. Okay, that's a very good one. Okay, um, question number two. Um, what's the best mistake uh, that you would like to make again? The best mistake that I'd like to make again? Um, well, the best mistake for me on a personal level uh, is one that I don't think I can make again, and that was... Uh, nearly failing organic chemistry in undergrad. Okay. <laughs> um, that got me off of the medicine path and onto law, and I would not have been a good doctor, let me tell you. <laughs> Why not? You sound like a good enough guy. Yeah, I mean, personality-wise, maybe, but I hated biology and I hated chemistry, <laughs> and... I hear doctors kind of need those things. Yeah, at some level, I think it's, it comes handy to understand, you know, how life, how living things work. So yes, a, a little bit. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, last question. Um, imagine that you have a time machine and uh, you go, you know, as you do, back in time, and you meet your ten-year-old self, and you say to your ten-year-old self, "Do not do this. Um, what is this?" Mm. Do not sit in the back in math class in ninth grade. Okay. <laughs> it, it wound up uh, getting a lot of bad academic habits in that wound up sabotaging me throughout high school. So oh, okay. nagging feeling that, you know, I could have done better if I hadn't done that. But sitting in the back and uh, being out of the teacher's eye meant it was really easy to read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy books from the library, which, don't get me wrong, I loved at the time. My grades did not love me back. Fair enough, indeed. That, that is a very good one. Have the discipline to stay in the classroom. That's excellent. Um, Hamza, thank you. Uh, seriously, so, so much uh, for being with me tonight. It's um, It's been an absolute joy and a pleasure. Thank uh, you so much for having me on. It's been wonderful talking with you and looking forward to chatting more in the future. And I um, very much hope that we will again sooner rather than later. Sounds like a plan. Alrighty, take care. Take care. And this is it for now. Um, you know, it's very difficult to hear what I've just heard and talk to this man and not think differently about OSR. Because, yes, it is true that the OSR community has been very problematic over the last few years. And yes, it is true that it should be approached with caution because some of those 
toxic elements are indeed there. But there is a beacon of hope that things will improve. And I, for one, would love to see that happening. OSR is not my thing, that's the truth. But OSR is the thing of many, many people. And it can be a beautiful thing. And it can be an absolutely wonderful way of getting into role-playing games. So I would love to see that happening. In order to do that, we need to support this kind of projects. We need to support these kind of people. There are going to be plenty of links in the show notes and show description. Please, please, please take a look and um, see what you think. I reckon you're going to find out it's actually very well worth it. In any event, any comments you may have, please do leave them down there. I would love to hear what you have to say. But until the next time, I will be talking to you very, very soon. Take care.